and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Waitress. Hello. Welcome once again to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host, cohort, comrade. That's from another podcast. I didn't come up with that, so I need to <laughs> give work. the proper credit to the, the Attitude Era podcast. That was their introduction. Um, hello, Julio. We are here on uh, early for us, recording-wise, but um, it's uh, Friday the 13th now. I don't know when this is coming out. I will try as hard as I can to shoehorn in as many quotes from Friday the 13th as possible throughout this, though. <laughs> that seems to fit the movie that we're doing today. I was about to say, having absolutely nothing to do with the movie that we're covering today. We're here to discuss Waitress, a film that came out in 2007 that really feels like it came out in 2000 or 2001. Uh, very, I, like, in my mind, legitimately, when I Google search this, I Googled Waitress 2004. Like, that's when I thought it came out, because I thought it was like in that transitional period between like, you know, the domination of the sex comedies of the turn of millennium and then kind of into the, the art houses of the late two thousands, like the two thousands is a fascinating decade in film. And I thought it was like in that middle ground of like women can do shit too. Uh, so when I saw that it <laughs> came out in 2007, I was like, what? So that like immediately blew my mind. So was it, it's the opposite of it being ahead of its time. Yes, absolutely. This feels you know, without like spoiling how we actually feel about the movie, you know, I felt like this tonally came a little bit too late. Um, but the film of the day, the film du jour is Waitress from 2007 starring Carrie Russell, often referenced, but I don't think we've actually, have we done a film of hers here, Julio? Uh, no. I mean, we've trashed The Rise of Skywalker pretty thoroughly and she is in it. You don't see her face. I don't think. She's masked entirely. Well, Did you know that? Uh, I feel like I remember reading that. My reference was when we reference her, it's always her scene. Is it Mission Impossible 3? She <laughs> yes. has a scene in. Okay. Yeah, that's often referenced both on and off air by myself and Julio. Uh, directed by Adrian Shelley, written by Adrian Shelley. Um, we'll get into her story, unfortunate story, a little bit more in the second half. But Julio, we are not alone today here tackling the uh, rom-com with Carrie Russell, Nathan Fillion. Uh, no. We have a, a guest. And um, and thank God. Why don't... Uh, 
<laughs> I can't think of a worse idea than two dudes talking about this movie just on their own without uh, the, the feminine point of view to rescue them, saving them from saying too many stupid things. You are not wrong on that. Like the notes I was taking and shit, I was just like, man, I'm going to have such a problematic view on this movie. I'm, I'm glad we have a woman guest here to help us out uh before we introduce our guests let's go ahead and run down uh what we do who we are myself alex and julio we are the contrarians here on the contrarians we like to rage against the rotten tomatoes machine that is our battle cry we will find a movie on rotten tomatoes that is highly rated a lot of times accompanied with that beautiful ip of certified fresh and we will break down that film uh bring it down to size not just break it down but bring it down uh, to an even playing field and talk about maybe some of the overrated aspects of it or just flat out bad aspects that critics for whatever reason convince themselves were good um conversely we'll find a film that is rotten one of those nasty green splotches typically about 30 percent and below and as good guests, we'll build that film up. We'll talk about the positive merit in it, some of the things that were overlooked, aspects that deserved celebrating and didn't really get it due to the wicked system that is Rotten Tomatoes. And we do this in uh, an attempt to, number one, prove that you know this shit is subjective. You can be as over the moon about something as you want to be or as downright cynical about something if you really, truly set your mind to it. And that, two, a topic that Julio and myself, long before we even hit the record button on a podcast, have been talking about, and that is that the, the Rotten Tomato system is a little bit flawed, and they don't really go out of their way to explain that, and so we do it for you. Uh, but that all comprises the first portion of the podcast where we put our contrarian hats on, uh, which we call Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie we're discussing, the movie du jour, as I've started to say, uh, they just need to hang around for part two or the second half of our podcast. Correct. Part two, aptly titled Real Talk. That's where we tell you how we really feel, uh, not just us. Obviously, this time we have a third person that's going to be sharing uh, her thoughts about Waitress. Uh, just full disclosure, I'd seen this movie once before a long time ago, and like we were kind of just chatting before we started recording, I, I there was a lot that I didn't remember about it. So I wouldn't say that this was almost like watching it again for the first time, but it was definitely, uh, it was quite a, a refresher as far as like all the details. Uh, I, I remember the pies, and I think that that's the thing that everybody would remember at least watching it once. And, and then Alex is watching it for the first time. Uh, did we like it? Did we not like it? Do we have serious problems with how it depicts women and men? You'll find out for sure once we get to real talk. But in Contrarian's Corner, because this movie's fresh at 89%, we're just going to talk about it as if it was a bad movie, a rotten movie, because uh, that's our gimmick. It certainly is. All right, Julio. Uh, she's she's already she's anxious. She's She wants to get in the kitchen with us. So we got to introduce who we have here on the pod with us. Julio, who is joining along uh, for a ride into this Carrie Russell vehicle? That would be Rachel, the the most, uh, what did I call you on Twitter? I, th I think I said the most sensitive half of uh, the Yum Yum pod. <laughs> we've, we've featured her co-host and husband, Ryan, uh, a number of times here in The Contrarians. And uh, well, now it's time to see what the other Yum looks like and sounds like. So Rachel, <laughs> welcome to the show. Introduce yourself. Thank you. Yes, I do a podcast with my husband called Yum Yum Pod. Uh, its namesake is a line from Star Trek Discovery, which you can hear the full story of basically at the start of any of our episodes. 
but it's utterly ridiculous. <laughs> and we dive deep, usually episode by episode, into mostly science fiction TV shows. At the moment, we are working our way through Babylon 5. That's that's a show that our listeners have listened a lot to, uh, about. Uh, this is... Uh, I was so thrown off by your choice. We're doing Waitress because you picked it, Rachel. And Yes. I told Ryan, yeah, just tell her, you know, what movie does she want to do on the show? And and then he came back with Waitress, and I was like, that's not sci-fi. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> <laughs> what are you playing at here, Rachel? <laughs> so, so I was looking over our DVD collection because um, Ryan is a massive fan of having physical media. So... Our DVD collection, because I'm a nerd and I have a spreadsheet, uh, has, we're getting close to 550 DVDs. That includes like films, Blu-rays and TV shows. So I was like looking through our cabinet and because Ryan said, like, pick a movie, just make sure that they haven't done it before. And I was like looking through and uh, my copy of Waitress has a pink spine. Because it was done in association with Pink Ribbon Day, which is a charity that works with, particularly against violence against women, which is another tie-in with the director. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it stood out. And I was like, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have done Waitress. <laughs> uh, you have little faith. I'll have you know that we did Crossroads, the Britney Spears vehicle, what, a couple of years mm. ago? It's not like we completely stay out of the female-centric movies. No, but it's a relatively small film. I feel like it's just like a lot of people have heard of it more so now since it had the musical adaptation, but it still feels like it's a tiny thing over in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I... Don't want you to tell us yet how you actually feel about Waitress. I'm assuming that you're on the positive side just because you own the movie. But then again, both Alex and I own movies that we don't like. So we'll see. We do have an entire bad movie section of our DVDs with the classic When the Bow Breaks. (laughs) Uh, We also have Big Stan. Those just sound like movies that Ryan likes. Yeah, but he likes them because they're bad. Yeah, I was about <laughs> to say that the, the the bad movie shelf is just the Ryan movie shelf. <laughs> yeah, but that, then we also have the separate collection of random movies that we found in op shops that we don't even know what they are. So, like, there's one that Ryan's very excited to watch eventually, which has a woman who is like nine months pregnant with a knife (laughs) of course he is that's the most on-brand thing i've heard all day (laughs) uh all right well alex before we we get into the quotes is there anything else you want to say are you are you going to share what kind of pie you're you're craving right now Earl murders me because I'm having an affair pie. You smash blackberries and raspberries into a chocolate crust. I can't have no affair because it's wrong and I don't want Earl to kill me pie. Vanilla custard with banana. Hold the banana.
you know, everything she made in this looked appetizing. Uh, I've never had the sensation to like, or the, excuse me, the um, inclination to fornicate with a pie, not unlike <laughs> our good friend uh, Jason Biggs. And in this film, Andy Griffith, Matlock, wants to fuck a pie at one point. Uh, I've never quite found a pie that I enjoy that much, but uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. So uh, this movie, you know, appealed to at least some of my senses. And obviously the senses of most of the critics that logged onto Rotten Tomatoes, because as you said, 89%, that's a that's a good one. Um what uh, what were they saying? Were they praising Nathan Fillion's unlikely sexiness? <laughs> Is the the sexiness that sneaks up on you, all the way from Canada? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, you know what? I pulled four quotes and none of them mentioned Fillion. I'm pretty sure there there's like over a hundred quotes and fresh quotes on the debates for this movie, and I'm sure that somebody there mentions him. But come on, Alex, this this is a uh, a movie about women, so of course the quotes are about the women that are in the movie. Uh, so we're gonna start with Fair. Jeff Weiss from uh, Desert News, Salt Lake City, who says, "Waitress has some unexpected twists and turns, and features some refreshingly offbeat humor as well as terrific performances by its cast. Cast in general, they don't single out anybody. Did you, Alex, recognize any any of the small characters? I, I told you when we were texting. I am." thrilled that you know who Matlock is. I thought that me being the oldest person on this recording was going to be the only one that was going to be throwing around Matlock jokes. So I'm glad that you know who Matlock is. Uh, Rachel, do you know uh, Andy Griffith from anything or you just know him from Waitress? I mostly know him, but I also know the Andy Griffith show. Oh, well, that's right. You guys grew up in the (laughs) speaking English. Yeah, I was about to say, like, how are you surprised we know who he is? Like, and like Andy Griffith was on syndication on every channel here when I was growing up. So not in Peru. Uh, no. <laughs> so the this is like uh, I don't know if it's irony, but we should be happy that you know who Matlock is because you're the <laughs> the weird foreign speaking <laughs> outcast in this situation. I've been in the United States pretty much half my life by now, and this is the first time that I've heard anybody reference Matlock. So they'll tell you how how odd it is. Maybe it's just because it's Texas. I don't know. Um, and it's outdated. <laughs> like, who's watching Matlock now? Well, I mean, I'm sure they're reruns somewhere. Nick and Mike. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I can't say I've ever actually watched a full episode of it. I just knew of it because it was like, always on. Like, what streaming on. service is Matlock on? Does Nickelodeon have, like, a streaming service? Or are they just cable? <laughs> It seems anymore, like something man. that would be on a uh, peacock, maybe. I don't know. Um, all right. Let's move on to Phil Real from the Arizona Daily Star, who says, Writer-director Adrian Shelley's Waitress serves up a slice of movie time heaven. Massive percentage of these quotes that, that I found in all over Rotten Tomatoes uh, will do wordplay with the idea of pie and slices and... Uh, as they should baking something delicious in the <laughs> in the cinema oven and all that stuff, so I had to call out Phil here for being the first one that had the the, the slice word there. Next, Brian Martyr from Hollywood.com says, "Waitress is exclusively about the female point of view, which is quite refreshing." Now, Brian is talking about <laughs> the meat of the of the of the movie here. Uh, Rachel, obviously, uh, you would have experienced this movie differently uh, from Alex and I. Mm-hmm. 
still, like when you watch it, and you don't have to go into too much detail because we're really talking about it in real talk. But when you watch this movie, do you go like, yes, these are my people, and <laughs> and men suck, or <laughs> or do you can you like I'll, see like a, as, as a general picture of humanity? Uh, I guess a little bit of both because like. I always just think of this movie as being about people. It's just like all of them have their own things going on, good and bad. But Earl is a piece of shit. I was going to say, some are are worse than others. Yeah, like it's all on a spectrum. Alex, uh, did you feel like the movie was kind of like leaving you out? (laughs) Because it it didn't cater. It catered to the female point of view, which is... uh, as, as far as I know, not the point of view that you have. You're the the male wrestling fan point of view. <laughs> uh, I didn't feel left out. I felt bored, but I didn't feel left out. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this might already bleed a little bit into real talk, but like this isn't a movie that I felt was intentionally trying to leave behind male viewers, and that's that's fine. I um this is certainly real talk uh women deserve their own stories too as do minorities <laughs> so if if the movie wants to leave me out i'm fine with that uh but i didn't it feel doesn't any point have to be for everybody yeah exactly you never felt like wait where is where is the counterpart where is waiter <laughs> no we had nathan Watch waiting for that yeah like the thing I love about it is you have Nathan Fillion, who's like really sweet and really, you know, he's really gentle with her and really kind and caring. But then uh, you reminded it's just because he fucking hates his wife and he's having an affair. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, oh, men are gentle, but they're still assholes at the end of the day, which is by and large true. <laughs> um, finally, let's close with Robert Dinnerstein from Denver Rocky Mountain News, who says, look. Waitress is no groundbreaker, and it's not likely to change anyone's life, but it provides a showcase for Russell, who knows how to make the most of it. Um, And here, I will point something that I'm going to bring up through Contrarian's Corner and also through Real Talk, and that is that somehow, movies just can't figure out Kerry Russell as a movie star. TV figured out Kerry Russell. I think that when you look at her her career uh, on TV, you know, she had Felicity back at the beginning. And more recently, she did The Americans, and those are kind of like bookends of a pretty amazing career. But then you look at what she did, what she's done in movies, and you're like, we know you're good, but for some reason, they just can't quite make you start. Like, they cast her in, like, small roles or, you know, you, you mentioned Mission Impossible, Alex. They kill her off 10 minutes in. <laughs> it's just, why are we, why is it so hard to turn Carrie Russell into Let's say Jennifer Lawrence, right? Why isn't Carrie Russell in the Hunger Games? That's uh, why isn't she in the MCU? You will hear me complain about this all throughout. Uh, how familiar are you with uh, Carrie Russell's career, uh, Rachel? As familiar as you are with Andy Griffiths? Yeah, like I I know of her, and I definitely know the name, but it's like ask me the list of things that she's in. I'm like, uh, well. She technically was in Rise of Skywalker, right? There you go. That that will be your safest answer. <laughs> People will be like, oh, yeah, that, that was a big movie that she was in. Dude, I completely forgot her first movie was Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. That fucking rules. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I have a bonus quote. Go for it. Like. So there was 
it's not from Rotten Tomatoes, though, because in Australia we had a long-standing show called At The Movies, which you may have heard Ryan talk about before, Uh, but it was two Australian film critics and it was like a staple of Australian TV for like decades. And they're like the probably the two most prominent uh, film critics and they're known for like having jabs at each other and usually liking very different films. So I thought that I might share a quote from their review. Okay. I, I Honestly, I kept waiting for you to say that their names were Roger Ebert and, <laughs> and Gene Siskel. And I was going to have to just somehow <laughs> tell you that they're American, not Australian. <laughs> no, it's uh, David Stratton, Stratton and Ma- like it's David and Margaret. Like <laughs> we know, like I never really called them by their last name, like their last names. It's David and Margaret. Um, but uh, I'll 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 give you his quote about Nathan Fillion. Um, Unfortunately, she's pregnant. Something only the new doctor in town, Nathan Fillion, knows about. And the doctor is pretty sexy. <laughs> That's part of his synopsis of the film. I mean, all all those things are true. No misleading yeah. there. Um, I think that we've set up the table pretty thoroughly. We can we can start serving the pies in the form of a uh, contrarian's corner. Alex, take us to contrarian's corner. Shh, I'm inventing a new pie in my head. Tomorrow's blue plate special. I'm calling it. I don't want Earl's baby pie. I don't think we can write that on the menu board, huh? Then I'll just call it bad baby pie. The story of Waitress is the story of Carrie Russell, who plays Jenna uh, Hunterson. She's a waitress living in the American South, trapped in an unhappy marriage with her controlling and abusive husband, Earl. She works at Joe's Pie Diner, where her job includes creating inventive pies with unusual titles inspired by her life, such as the bad baby pie she invents after after unintended pregnancy is confirmed. She longs to run away from her dismal marriage and is slowly accumulating money to do so. She pins all her hopes on an escape for a pie contest in a nearby town, which offers 25 grand as the prize, but her husband won't let her go. Upon learning she is pregnant, he demands she promise never to love the baby more than him. So that's kind of the introductory statement to this. And I mean, that's it doesn't take long. I appreciate that. It gets right to the point. We established she's a waiter at this diner, or waitress, excuse me, and that she's pregnant and she's not particularly psyched about it. And we learned just how fucked up the relationship is with her husband because it was the last time they had sex, which was, you know, six weeks ago. And it's only because she got her drunk. And um, this Earl fella is a real piece of shit, which just like, (laughs) I I don't know, for y'all. Did they do enough to establish if she tried to leave him, he would kill her? Because I just thought, like, <laughs> dude, just get in a car and drive away. But he he's so controlling and financially abusive that she can't. She doesn't feel like she can. He's beaten her down so much that, it, like, she has a line. Like, he won't let me get a car. He won't let me go anywhere. I mean, it is Jeremy's sister. 
like the the bad boy of TV in the early 2000s. So I I think that the way they established it, Alex, was the laziest possible way, which is they cast the guy from, you know, Six Feet Under. (laughs) And I mean, this is before he softened up and he was in a, what's that that TV show that, that he had where he was a single father? Uh, suburgatory suburgatory yes suburgatory you know that's the that's jeremy sisto now like that's nice jeremy sisto but but this this is from his uh his dangerous years where all you had to do was like see him on screen and then you felt uncomfortable um i mean that's fine i i think that the movie just it just goes to the tv well a lot in its production yeah. right so you have Kerry russell tv star jeremy sisto tv star uh cheryl hines like i was like okay am i crazy or is she mostly a tv actress and i was looking at her filmography and i mean she kind of goes back and forth but it's also just mostly like a tv you know her her biggest roles seem to be on, on tv and then of course matlock we've already wax poetic <laughs> about andy griffith's career uh it is it's it's wild that I think the biggest movie star in this movie is the guy from Ocean's Eleven. The dork from Ocean's Eleven who gets transplanted to be a dork in waitress. Uh, so we'll talk about Not him. Cal? But as far as Jerry Sisto goes, <laughs> who, who is he? Where, where do I know him from? Well, Alex should know him. Is he in a horror movie or is he a wrestler? Horror. Cal. The 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 cook, the I guess the manager of the the diner. Yeah, now I'm second guessing. I knew he looked familiar. What should I know him from? I believe he's in Halloween. Oh, if right. that guy's in Halloween, now. Alex, and you didn't recognize him, I'm just going to strip you <laughs> from your uh, horror fan bona fides. I know this. Ryan told me to dress Alex down if he didn't know this. So I'm taking his word <laughs> for oh, it. Oh, he's the dude from Devil's. He's in Devil's Rejects is what he's in. Okay. Yes. Okay, that's not as bad, but it's still pretty bad. I do do love The Devil's Rejects. He's also in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning, which is a a terrible, terrible movie. And yeah, he is. He's in Rob Zombie's Halloween. He ain't in a real Halloween, so let's (laughs) calm down now. (laughs) Okay, well, he's also. He was also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so this guy. He's got a real white trash look, and now I can already picture him in Devil's Rejects and in Rob Zombie's Halloween. He's got that real nasty, fucking greasy look about him. So good call out. So are you saying that if he was playing the 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 husband, Kerry Russell's husband, would would it be easier for you to buy that she just can't escape? Because you know, there's I mean, a guy that's maybe been- it's <laughs> it's just like I don't know. I I again I don't know what it's like to be a woman, but it's just the the notion of if like if it's that bad you know just fucking kill him or just get in the car and drive away <laughs> that type of thing accidents happen all the time that's right he's a, he seems like a real fucking lousy drunk he could just fall off the roof and no one would believe it was anything weird <laughs> and nobody would uh. warn him either <laughs> no we uh we get the exact opposite though of um Jeremy Sisto. I'm, I'm glad y'all know who he was because I had no fucking clue. Um, but we f- find that the new OBG is it OBGYN? That yes. shows how much of a guy I am right there. The <laughs> new gynecologist, the uh, doctor for Carrie Russell. She comes in expecting her, you know, the one she's she was delivered by, she quotes. That's like uh, that Parks and Rec line where Ron talks about the woman that delivered him. She's like, no, she delivered me and I've been coming here, you know, since then type thing. But <laughs> Nathan Fillion is the new doctor in town, Dr. Jim uh, Pomatter. And why I think we get our answer here 
But is it weird to y'all that Nathan Fillion never became like a big bona fide movie star? He just like <laughs> not much going on there. Mm. Again, TV is Nathan Fillion. You know, I think that he's more impressive in the small screen. Yep. You have him on Firefly. You have him on Castle. Uh, he's on a new show now where he plays a cop, I think. I don't know. But he's that's his bread and butter. I mean, he was in... Uh, the classic Drive. It's true. <laughs> he He's all over your TV memories, if, if you've been paying attention. Uh, I think that that's it. Look, it, it, that's that's the thing with this movie, right? Like, it, it's kind of like what I was saying about uh, K. Russell. Is it cheaper? Like production wise, like do you save money, at least in this era of American filmmaking, if you go for big names on TV rather than going for small names in film? Was that the kind of trade off they were doing? And they're yeah. So I guess production wise, it makes sense. Definitely was. Yeah, but marketing wise, I don't know. I, I I'm sure you. And when we get the real talk, you're gonna hit us with the with the box office numbers, Alex. But I I wonder how many people went to see Waitress because it's the girl from Felicity and the guy from, at that time, it would have been, what, Firefly? You know? It, uh, it then not enough people show up, maybe, and then, well, then they don't make another movie. Instead, they go back to TV <laughs> where they've been doing really well. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I look at Nathan Fillion and I'm like, he's he's okay. I guess he's... In this movie, I kind of buy him as the big fish in a small pond because it doesn't... They kind of stack the deck to, to favor him, right? It's it's him and Jeremy Sisto as the two main men. It, oh, and Oogie, who, who almost doesn't even count. It, so you have those three and people. Cal. Well, Cal, Cal, Cal's there too. <laughs> I was about to say Cal's not big... available, but he's actually too available. As it turns yeah. Out. <laughs> he gets a full makeout session in the kitchen. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, but still, you know, Cal, he's painted as a grump. Oogie's painted as, as as a dork and uh Sisto is painted as a monster. So of course Nathan Fillion, there's no way that he doesn't come across as the best out of everything that's available. Uh, yeah. But is it his talent or is it just that the movie surrounded him <laughs> with a bunch of losers and in it psychos? So I guess to answer your question, Alex, uh I think that at least this early in the two thousands, they uh, they were not letting Nathan Fillion sink or swim on the strength of his acting abilities, and instead they were just building a world around him that allowed him to shine, if that makes any sense. Who are you? I'm your doctor. Oh, wow, you brought me a pie. How nice. You know what, I've only been here a few weeks, but already I am genuinely impressed with the hospitality of this place. You're not my doctor. Lily Mueller is my doctor. This pie is for her. It's Marshmallow Mermaid, her favorite. Well, she's semi-retired now. Just what happened this morning, she kind of quit. We didn't have time to call anybody. We find out who Joe is at Joe's Pie Diner. That is Andy Griffith, Matlock himself, who's just a crotchety old man who really has a, an affinity for Jenna, though, despite the fact that he just like fucking barks orders at her and says, you know, <laughs> he's the mafia guy from the, the office, basically. Like, if there's ice in it, I send it back. If it's burnt, I send it back. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> Uh, how does this depiction, how does this character match with what you guys, and I'm assuming most of the world, have in their minds when they see that Andy Griffith is going to be in a movie? Because, yes, we've established that my my Griffith experience is very limited. I see him as a lawyer. I see him as a small town lawyer that's got a smart ass. That was what Matlock was, just from what I remember. And uh, so this is almost like 
you know, it's not like I'm seeing a hero of my childhood be, you know, having grown into a, 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 an angry old man. Curmudgeon. Yeah, curmudgeon, right? But for people like you and most of the people watching this movie, I imagine that has to be different, right? It's like Andy Griffith in, in the Andy Griffith show must have been a beloved figure that you see him here. And it's just, was it off-putting to just see him play this character when he should have been somebody that was, uh, I don't know, a little nicer, right? Especially because he's just so, you know, he's had such an illustrious career. It would be like, like I don't know, who do we have that's really old? And they would be, it's kind of like when you see De Niro these days just playing really off-putting characters and you're like, you're too old for this. You just, just, just walk away with some dignity. It was the same thing, I, I, I guess, watching Andy Griffith here just kind of uh, debasing his image for the sake of, of uh, small town comedy. Yeah, be like uh, F. Murray Abraham, just kind of showing up in the next fucking Marvel movie. Be really fucking ejecting. <laughs> uh, like the reaction I had, it was like, "Holy shit, it's Matlock!" Like, you know, that's just the reason he's there is to exist and kind of give people the nostalgia pop and distract them from the fact that this movie's thirty minutes too long and the story's really <laughs> like paint by numbers and there's really not much to it. Um, it's like, who, but- who's an old man that we can get? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. It didn't feel like they were like, ooh, let's get Andy Griffith because it'll be a like, subversion of expectations because he usually played like really nice guys. So he's going to be a cranky old man. It's just like, who's an elderly man that will say yes to this part <laughs> that'll probably take like four days to film? He just gets to sit down for the majority of his scenes. And then. It'll probably take like half a day to film him wandering in, giving her a card, being a bit of a dick to her husband, who we hate, so it's fine, and then walking out. Who's going to say yes to that? It was going to be Joanne's diner, but Cloris Leachman was busy, so they're like, fuck, we got to get a dude now. (laughs) And so (laughs) they cast uh, Matlock here. And Um, Carol Burnett turned him down. The story continues and no one can know I'm pregnant. I want to run away. You know, it's, you know, changed the record already. But um, upon visiting Nathan Fillion the first time, uh, she provides a pie that she brought for who she thought was her doctor. It was a pie she made specifically for her. Nathan Fillion runs into her again. And the reason I bring this up is because the quote I wrote down, he described the pie as biblically good. I was like, Jesus, man. (laughs) Exactly. How good is that pie? Yeah, thank you. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, though, we go from something kind of fun and lighthearted like that to the flashback to how she was impregnated. And man, Julio, in our years doing this, we've had to cover some pretty uh, unfortunate and off-putting sex scenes. But this was just awful, man. Uh, We get the night that, you know, she said she was all drunk, but... She doesn't appear to be really drunk. I guess she just had enough to the point where she just like allowed it to happen. Because Earl, wait, no, I don't think it's a flashback. No, I know. It was, it was like that's not a yeah, flashback. It's day it's sex. That's that's the night, uh, and she's just like, oh well, I'm already pregnant. Because he even comments and, on her boobs being uh, bigger. Yeah, and he's like, oh, it's been it's been like over a month. Oh, you know, about six weeks. I mean, it, it is still very off putting. <laughs> No, and she's not wearing the dress. 
Okay. I thought that was okay. The way I read that was like in her mind, this is what happened. And so I'm glad I have y'all here to clarify that because it makes it kind of even worse. Because, you know, (laughs) (laughs) this. Yeah. The sex scene where she got pregnant serves a purpose because she, you know, got pregnant. But this, man, Earl's just like a piece of shit in this movie. It's, (laughs) it, could not try harder to go out of his way to establish him as that. It almost got to a point no. where I was sympathetic for Earl because I was like, this movie could not do more to make me hate Earl. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing redeemable about him. And they just layer it on scene after scene after scene. Like everything he does is the most annoying version of that thing. I always think of how he drives up and he honks. <laughs> Every like he time. He starts honking like 30 seconds before he gets and then just keeps on going. Even though he can see her, he's still honking. There is a, a completely definite uh, contrast between his bravado when he's driving or when he's just walking around boasting in front of her and uh, his performance in bed because... Yes, I. Oh, I, just the, when he when he says, "Oh, yeah, that was really good." It's just like, it's like have you ever had good sex, man? <laughs> it's the cut to like ten seconds later. That did not look enjoyable at all. It was it was just like a combination of, you know, the performance because Carrie Russell, like I said, she's a good actress, so she can sell the fact that she is a hundred percent not into this. And then you know, it's a, the way it's shot was just like this static shot. That is not yep. sexy at all, and then it's just like, and it's not his sounds intimate either. Like it's close up on their faces, but it does not feel intimate. But then he has his dialogue, and this is really like where you're right, Alex. I, I, I mean, I don't feel bad for the character. I feel bad for the actor, for Jeremy Sisto, who has to be there on top of a uh, K. Russell and and basically beg her to tell him how much he she wants him and. Come on, baby, kiss me back. Talk dirty to me. What do you want me to say? And then he comes. <laughs> that yeah, that was it. Yeah, he was like, she's like, what am I supposed to say? And he's, Ugh. man, what kind of issues does this guy have? But see, Alex, you and I, we uh, we watched that and we we looked down on him for for his poor performance. And whereas I guess most women watch that and they go like, yep, that's how it is. Most of the time, like we, we watch that scene <laughs> and we are a hundred percent sure that we are better than Sisto, the, the Jeremy Sisto, where it's like women watch that. It's and, an ego boost for the men watching. Yeah. Where it's like women watch that and they're like, yep, that's a guy. Well, you know, in my mind, I like to think I'm better than that, but now I'm second guessing. So who knows? <laughs> uh, speaking of which, we get introduced to Ogie, crazy Ogie I have in my notes here, who... Um, mm-hmm. seems like the village idiot and he's pining after Dawn played by the writer director uh, Adrian Shelley and this is something I don't particularly enjoy about the movie we're kind of going to jump ahead here but he's painted here as the stalker slash you know this was a horror movie he'd be suspect number one of <laughs> yep. like who's killing yes. killing all these teens and whatnot and then you know I guess Dawn thinks she has no better prospects in life or anything. And she just, you know, by the end of the movie, she's married to him. And she and happy, thinks this allegedly. Is, and happy. Yeah. And this is the way to go. Uh, for the messages this movie tries to tell of you control your own destiny 
women have a say in things and you know it tries to be this strong message for that mm. but then dawn is just this happenstantial woman who just one day is like oh i don't have enough prospects so i'm gonna marry this guy that's borderline stalking me very conflicting messages that this movie's sending well that's a question that i wanted to ask is what is the moral of this movie uh well clearly that women are at their happiest when they're cooking that's that's the only time that Carrie Russell really smiles is when she's making a pie in the kitchen where she belongs apparently. And when she starts the affair, that's like the the smiling montage. Oh, well then, yeah. Is when she's like, "Oh, I have a secret. I'm fucking my doctor." <laughs> it really just feels like when the movie's over, the message is if you have a kid, every single problem in your life will go away. <laughs> yeah, your 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 kid trumps everything. And that fable of insta-love as soon as you hold your baby and the instant bond and nothing else matters. Yeah, but it also, it doesn't hurt if you befriend uh, an old man with money. Because when... But that's before she knows that she has the money. She's just like, nah, I'm not going to let her, like, let Lulu be exposed to his bullshit. I think that this movie sits at this really weird moment of transition where specifically about the Ogie character, you know, I, I think that those characters used to work, uh, I don't know, a couple decades ago, <laughs> we slowly phased them out or we slowly learned that this type of behavior was not romantic oh. or cute, but instead it was yeah. the kind of thing that the we should be weary of. Sort of <laughs> de-evolution of the nice guy. Yeah. Where it used to be like, oh, she'll warm up to him. Yes. <laughs> he he's a he's a good guy. And now we're like, you think you're entitled to her because you went on a five minute date that wasn't even set up for you. Your cousin sent you instead of him and then gave her number to you and you stalk her at her place of work where she's also a waitress which is another sort of red flag people flirting with waitresses right <laughs> it's an, an another layer of unaccept unacceptability to his behavior that the movie says like oh isn't it nice he says he's never gonna give her up it's really weird he loves her after five minutes oh no 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 I, I don't want to use my waitress I want her Dawn, that lady right there. Oh, well, I'm sorry, honey, but you're sitting in my station. All the tables in Dawn's station are taken. No, but I don't want you. I want her. Well, if you want to eat in this diner, you got to sit here and I got to wait on you. Is she a good friend of yours? What can you tell me about her? What's she, what is her likes and dislikes? What does she look for in a man? Uh, honey, I'm just here to bring you pie or coffee or something like that. I don't dispense romantic advice. What if I paid you? I think I'm inclined to blame it on the performance because I think that he goes so big that he just comes across as, as you know, deranged. <laughs> he doesn't come, because I can see yeah. if you show up with somebody and that person shows some interest, maybe you can play with that gray area where like, all right, there is, you know, there is a line and as long as he doesn't cross it, he can continue to show interest. Right. And, and but he he jumps over the line and literally says, I am never giving up. <laughs> and it, what everything he says is what now uh, we've learned are 
red flags. <laughs> it, and so yeah. it, it's, it just doesn't work. And this is put as the, as a big love story in the movie, something that in a way we're supposed to compare, uh, Jenna's story to, right? Like when she looks yeah. and she's her friend yeah. is happy and married and this guy does poems for her and all that stuff. But yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's, uh, I, I guess I was surprised and, uh, and then disappointed that the movie took him seriously because I thought that he was brought in so we could point and laugh at him. <laughs> but instead, he was brought as, as, a, as a suitor that we were supposed to take seriously and, and embrace. Catching up to speed here. Uh, all right, so let's start with Earl here. Earl finds her at a bus stop with her suitcase packed and she's... You know, trying to get the fuck out of there and he fucking hits her it's a startling a moment in the movie because it up until this he point slaps her yeah it's got a fairly light tone to it and that kind of changes it and through this she tells him that she's pregnant and that's what i made allusion to there with her plot summation at the beginning he becomes jealous that she's gonna love the baby more than him she has the line of like you're jealous of the baby you know just kind of like incredulous and uh so He's becoming more and more possessive and more and more dangerous. All the while, Nathan Fillion, her doctor, Doctor Jim, uh, an affair buds out of this. You know, they both are, I guess, just kind of come across each other at the right point in their lives in the sense of they're both unhappy in their current circumstances and are both attracted to one another. And we get several scenes of some big kissing action, uh, both you know that are kind of um, uh, punctuated with comedy in the sense of no kissing outside or no kissing when the doors open that type yeah. of thing they're not sexy kisses not at all that's the thing you got two you know good looking people and it doesn't really pay off in a in a carnal sense for the viewing audience uh but a lot of kissing a lot of heavy petting and they have the scene where they explain to each other you know what's going on in his office carrie russell he says don't do that she says i'm sorry don't do what it's actually pretty funny and <laughs> it's just a really weird, really unsexy. It's whatever the polar opposite of wild things is, is what happens here. And he gets up and he storms out of the office and he says, I wish it were Friday. And I guess they're both just kind of confused about their situations in life. And they have this conversation that doesn't really go anywhere. But then after that, we get this montage of how happy Carrie Russell is with her life now. I mean, the sex must be amazing. Well, she says that it was mostly about <laughs> That's the true. She's writing a letter with. to her unborn kid and telling her about the time she cheated on her dad. In the baby journal that her friends gave her <laughs> to try and make her excited about the pregnancy. <laughs> um, I guess when you're having sex, like the kind of sex she was having with Jeremy Sisto, uh, anything is a step up. So whatever Fillion was doing, even if it was clumsy and, and not particularly sexy, it was still, it was an improvement. So yeah, that's, that's where she gets the, the big smile. Um, I think that it's a missed opportunity that we never really get to take a peek at Nathan Fillion's uh, marriage. Because I think that that would have made it a little more complicated in, in a good way. Because Right now, because we never see his wife until the very end, we just kind of assume that, well, he must have, you know, his reasons. <laughs> and you and you don't have to think about her because you haven't met her. So it's it's easier to just yeah. buy this affair and not really resent uh, Jenna, Gary Russell, for, for being yeah. a, a homewrecker. And, but that's mm. kind of like the movie Cheating. 
But sh- the wife doesn't find out, so she's not a homewrecker. That's true. That's what it, the film ends up trying to say. And it's just like, no, no. She She's like, oh, your wife really trusts you. I'm not going to ruin that by telling her that you had an affair with me, so we're not going to do this in public. It's like, no, that trust is still broken, whether she knows it or not. He knows that he's cheated on his wife and either he's going to keep it a secret for the rest of their marriage or eventually break down and tell her long after the fact because he seems to have no plans of telling her and no regrets about the affair that he had with Jenna. I mean, you can tell that uh, if it was up to him, this would have gone on (laughs) forever. Yeah, like if she hadn't, if her waters hadn't broken, they would have run away together. That's true. Nathan Fielder is a bad dude. <laughs> Just he's a different kind of bad than Jeremy's sister, but he's still yeah, a bad person. But he's still very problematic. Yeah, I, I think that's a thing. And the film tries to pretend like he's not. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Like when she's just like she, d- he doesn't take no for an answer either. None of the film, t- none of the male characters in the film, take no for an answer. Joe doesn't. Cal doesn't. Her husband definitely doesn't. And and Nathan Fillion doesn't either. When she's just like, I don't think we should keep going, he's just like, no, we're doing this. We're having an affair. And she's like, oh, okay. But then it, it, You're gonna, she tries to- I'm going to come back in on Friday. <laughs> she tries to sell it like it's this, this, like they start having a deep connection. And again, that's the movie cheating because we never hear these wonderful conversations that they're having. You just, she just writes on her journal. Uh, yeah, we get the montage of them on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's after he, he shows up at her house. Yeah, so they can bake like, together. They, they, they can bake- and it's so annoying because I really love the sentiment that she has when she's just like, baby, I just want you somebody to hold you for 20 minutes straight. And then look away. They don't try and kiss you. There's not an ounce of selfishness to it. Like they just want to be there and hold you. That's a really beautiful line. Until you remember. And it makes no <laughs> sense with their relationship. It's all very nice and well, but only because she's not mentioning that the man that's holding her is married and <laughs> lied to his wife. Okay. Now is the time uh, is the time, I think, to talk about Nathan Fillion's marriage. What what is there to it? So they've moved from Connecticut to somewhere in the south like she refers to a highway and that means nothing to me as an australian i don't even know if it's a real highway it's 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 got a number so you know probably and he's just like we moved here from connecticut for my wife's residency so his wife is a resident resident and he is a junior doctor which means that he's just finished his residency, which likely means that they would have met when their power dynamic was separated because he would have been at least, if not a a fellow or the head resident, when she was an intern because she's just started her residency, which means that she's just finished her internship. And he's just finished his residency. So when did they get together? 
And was it a power difference at at the start of their relationship as Ah. well? And one of the reasons why he's maybe lost interest is because being a resident is fucking hard. She doesn't have the time for him that he maybe wants. And she's gained more power. She's closer to him than she was at the start of his relationship with her. And she doesn't cook for him anymore. She doesn't so make maybe he's just a manipulative son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe that's part of what attracts him to women is that sense of helplessness and I can guide you. Because he still doctors Jenna through her pregnancy. Like he s- switches between those two sort of roles of I'm guiding you and I'm your romantic partner. And he wants those two things together. She even tells him, I don't need you to save me. I don't want you to save me. But then he's pretty much about to save her, except that her water breaks. Yeah, he, that's, <laughs> yeah, he wants to do that. And I think that that's a part of what attracts that character to Jenna, as well as their like sort of immediate connection. And I'm like, well, Back when this film came out, we definitely were more accepting of those sorts of relationships that start off with a power imbalance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much like Ogie. Uh, it hasn't aged well. <laughs> I was going to say much like Juno. <laughs> Jenna, get dressed. Meet me outside. I'll be there in 10 minutes. We're going someplace. We might even run away. Figure it out. I mean it. We eventually find out, just kind of randomly, that Becky uh, Cheryl Hines is having an affair with Carl Lou Temple, who I made sure not to look it up. I racked my brain and figured out who he is in Halloween, and he has uh, sadly a bigger part in the director's cut than he does in the theatrical version. Sadly, in the sense that the scene that's portrayed is really fucking gross, uh, but. I figured it out. So, Ryan, you win this round, I guess. <laughs> and so <laughs> this affair is happening. And so it kind of gives Jenna a bit of perspective on what's going on because Becky's married and has this invalid husband. And and they've set up that she has a secret, but she's not telling them what's going on. And they're both deeply offended that she's not telling them every single thing that happens in her life because how dare she? Yeah, Becky kind of gets offended by some of the judgmental tone that uh, Jenna pushes at her, but then it causes, like, you know, obviously introspection with Jenna. Um, This all kind of culminates at the wedding we referenced earlier, where uh, Dawn marries Ogie in the diner in the most white trash thing I've ever fucking seen. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I'm like, why? Why? Why get married at the diner? Because it's you like, can reuse the set. It just seems like it. <laughs> That's yeah. It's just for reusing the set. Because this film does feel very low budget in that way. Like it's like they've got these locations and that's it. But Earl comes and crashes the party and all but literally drags Jenna out of there, takes her home, and he finds the cash that she's been hiding around the house. Again, one of those things. Why didn't she just fucking open a bank account? You know how many people have bank accounts they hide from their significant others? Millions around the world. Just, you know. Uh, is this a Jeremy Sister's Oscar clip, Alex? 
I guess, because he does cry here, right? Yeah. I I think, I don't know, do you guys feel like this was the moment where we're supposed to feel sympathy for him? Because he falls to his knees, he cries, he reveals his insecurities. I hope not, because they make him a caricature of, like, a bad person. <laughs> yeah. I, and I always just get distracted. I've watched this film a number of times. And I always get distracted that, like, he falls down and then somehow she falls onto his lap. <laughs> and I'm like, how is this working? <laughs> and she's just kind of like, well, I'm trapped now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like he's being being really vulnerable and it's just like i feel like she should be smart enough to have an answer ready like she knows the risks of hiding the money all over the house and i also don't buy even if she couldn't buy like set up a bank account because she can't go anywhere without him knowing about it right because he tracks all of her movements he wants to know where she is at all times. He'll randomly call her workplace and demand to talk to her. Give the money to Dawn. Like, you trust her enough to tell her all of this. Have, like, a box at her house where she's keeping the money for yep. you. I mean, it's not like Ogie's going to take it. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I think that that's I think that the biggest obstacle that this movie had while I was watching it was exactly that. That I think that the Carrie Russell persona is too smart. The the, the persona she projects, like I, me knowing her from again Felicity, the Americans, those roles that she takes, where she's just a smart, capable person, and you need her to tone that down to be believable in this movie. And I, I just don't think that they get there. I, every time, it's what you were saying, Alex, it's like, why doesn't she leave him? And I know that their response on paper is that, well, he's just, he overpowers her psychologically. But when I, I'm watching the movie, I'm like, no, that's Kay Russell. Nobody overpowers Kay Russell like that. <laughs> you know, she she would and figure it out. When she flips at the end and she she gets kind of that sense of herself back and it's just like, that was there the whole time. Yep. I never believed that you weren't capable of that moment. And they made it so in the script, it's her love for her daughter that gives her the motivation and the confidence. And she goes angry mom mode and kicks him out and goes, I'm fed up with this. I want a divorce. Get out of here. Yeah, she she becomes she finally becomes a Kerry Russell that uh, we were watching all along. <laughs> Like I knew you had it in you. I I just didn't buy it that that she wasn't smarter than this. You know, yeah, she wouldn't have uh, hid the money there. She wouldn't have just put up with his shit. Uh, yeah, all that for it- years. And she has a line where she's just like, like I know that my mum would be sad if she saw my life like this, and that Earl changed when we got married, which means that it was like flipping a switch, which do- does happen with people like as soon like um abusive people get people locked into marriages and then change their personality because now the the other person feels trapped but it's just like well he wouldn't have worn her down that much so why didn't she leave when the marriage fell apart like there's lots of points in between where you think she would have gotten to the point where she was like no, I can't put up with this anymore. But it's like, well, the film needs it to be this moment. Yep. And not before. 
yeah, just important to call out right now. It's the the female that's saying she was asking for it, not either of the two guys on here. All right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, I think that there's a lot of reasons that people don't leave, and yeah. it, it, sometimes it it genuinely takes a number of times for people to leave abusive partners. And not trying to negate that, but it doesn't feel true to this character that none of this would make her go, no, that's enough. Yeah, we reach the the climax. We mentioned already they're going to run away. Her water breaks. Uh, she's in labor. We're introduced to Fillion's wife at this point, or Dr. Jim's wife, and also Earl's there being a real bag of shit. Um, right before, you know, it goes into the push, push phase, Joe shows up cause he's in there having surgery as well. He leaves a card behind for Jenna that that'll come back into play here in just a moment. Uh, she has her baby. It's a girl. Earl is very underwhelmed and almost to the point of being apathetic towards the fact that he's he has pissed. a, yeah, he has a I fucking read it child. as he's pissed because he's like, he was, he only ever said, we're going to have a baby. We're going to have a boy. He did not consider the possibility that he would have a daughter. <laughs> well, he does. So owned. She has this kid and then she holds it. And I guess her life changes in that one moment. And she tells Earl, we're done. I want a divorce. If you ever come near me, I'll kill you. I'm like, I'm not really sure the legal how that holds up. You know, like, I'm not really <laughs> sure that's how this goes down in court. But, you know, she definitely puts the fear of God in him. And as she's being wheeled away, because... Uh, they get one last jab in the uh, in the American medical system here. They're like, well, Earl left, so you have to leave because they're not paying for it anymore. He's refusing to pay, <laughs> which I'm like, do you have to pay immediately? Like, And also, how much time has passed? Because they're talking about it like it's been days. Like, oh, he got admitted at the same time as you, which indicates a fir- like it's been further away. And it's like he had his surgery, he went into recovery, went into a coma. But it's like she just had birth, kicked her husband out, and went to sleep. And now we're waking up and she's getting kicked out. And it's just like, wait, how quick do they demand funds? Oh, there's a deleted scene somewhere where she gets the bill. And they the have to collection cut it. notice? <laughs> yes. They have to cut it because that was too much of a downer. <laughs> yeah, that was too much of a downer. <laughs> the implied rape and abuse and not even implied abuse, but that was a downer. But let's not remind people how much it fucking sucks to get sick or have a baby in America. <laughs> All right. So she's getting wheeled out uh, by her friends, Dawn and Cheryl or uh, Becky, excuse me, Cheryl. Uh, and also, why did the hospital staff tell them that they're kicking her out? Like, nobody came directly to get Jenna. They told her friends, not even, like, family, even though, and they, it's just like all Joe had to tell, tell them to get in was, I'm kin, and they, they let him in. But they are, now they're just like, oh, yeah, we're friends of Jenna. Okay, well, you need to tell her to get out, and we're not going <laughs> to send any staff to do it. We're just kicking her out. Can you go tell her for us? Because, like, we don't really want to deal with that. We have paying customers that we have to take care of. It was a huge missed opportunity that that all the fucking dumb people here in America that were, like, refusing vaccines and shit, their excuse would be like, that's HIPAA. They should have used that line right here of, like, 
why did they tell you and not me? And then Cheryl Hines <laughs> just says, that's HIPAA. <laughs> <laughs> so as they're wheeling her out, Nathan Fillion runs up and you know just is like kind of leaving. Yeah, kind of rightly though. He's just like, so what happens now? And hey, she's you, just we like, we're about to run away together. Is that still on? Like you have a newborn now. And- you fuck off. That's what's gonna happen now. <laughs> Yeah, she basically tells him, like, this is over. And it's the most mature thing, like, the most grown-up thing in the entire movie, where she's just like, it was great, and it was real, and it was really great. (laughs) But, you know, it's over. And uh, Julio, I was quoting Elizabeth Town just for you there. Uh, I appreciate it. She basically just says, you know, we can have a drama here now, or we can just drop it and say bye-bye. And she's like, I'm saying bye-bye. And they wheel her off and she comes back and she gives him a moon pie and he kind of has the that's kind of why I thought it was earlier like really close to the turn of the millennium because he has that thing where he looks at it and he looks back at her and gets that smirk and he's kind of like ah, has that kind of just uh, like positive exhale and you know moon pies he are fucking delicious well I was about that's to say it. moon pies are fucking delicious so he dives right into it and <laughs> then she just admits straight up you know her friend's like, who is that? It's like, oh, I had an affair with him. And they're like, oh, you whore. Ha, 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 ha. Or whatever they say. And <laughs> and then, as with any great film, we ended on a montage where we see she won the pie contest. And then the most deflating, defeating part of it all is it ends. And we see she opened her own shop. But it's just fucking Joe's Diner. She didn't leave. She learned nothing from all of this. But she did start fresh. <laughs> I guess. She painted it. There's a fresh coat of paint. Her life is entirely fixed now. Even though she still lives in the same town as the man that she had an affair with and her ex-husband. It gets really weird when they, when they show up for, I don't know, Taco Tuesday or whatever at the pie shop. Yeah, it's it's weird. I had the same thought, Alex. I was like, wait, that's not that she because at first I thought maybe no, maybe she went to a different town and opened the pie shop there. But no, because everybody's there. The I guess she hired now her yeah. two friends work for her. Is that what's happening? Yeah, which would screw with your relationship with them. And it also seemed that she fired Cal. He I don't remember spotting him. <laughs> uh are we ready to move this along to real talk? We're ready to put the pies in the oven and see what comes out the other side. Yes, let's let's go to real talk for more recipes. More pie discussion, yes. <laughs> yes. Spontaneous wedding poetry right now. The title is Yes. Dawn, every time I look at you, I think yes. Yes. We're driven by true love. Yes, I'm more than just he who audits. Yes, I'm poetry, and I'm sex, and I'm living a dream. I am, from now on, whoever you need me to be. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, Ogie, 